and welcome in to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show. I'm Allie Trost, joined by Connell McCourt, as always. No Nate Bucati on the show today. He is on vacation, so I will be driving the ship for us for the next hour. Connell and I will break down a thrilling 2-0 win from Sporting Kansas City over the LA Galaxy on 4th of July. We'll also talk with Tom Bogert of MLSsoccer.com in the next segment about Major League Soccer. We'll talk with him about the upcoming Gold Cup matches, some John Luca Busio, and a lot more with Tom Bogart, a friend of the show now. Um, but we'll start, of course, with that very exciting win over LA. And there's no better way to do that, Connell, than by going to the highlights. So let's first watch Johnny Russell's beautiful goal, his first of 2021. That's a wide open goal right from inside of a, a yard. And now Johnny Russell has a shot saved. Rebound, he knocks it in! A second bite at the cherry for Johnny Russell. His first goal of 2021. And it might have just given Sporting KC a smash and grab in Los Angeles. Okay, so there are a couple of things on that goal, Connell. Number one, talking with Tim Melia after the game, he said that he and John Polskamp were both like, we've both been scored on or scored on by Johnny like that in some training or something like that. So this is like a goal that is just such a Johnny Russell type goal. And it all starts with the pressure from Felipe Hernandez. Right. For sure. Yeah. I thought Felipe had a really, a big game for him, especially it was, look, it was one of those games. It wasn't a vintage sporting performance. You know, that's not what we're used to seeing from sporting. As you said, like they usually like to outpossess. They usually like to be on the front foot. Like they were missing Polito. Of course, that was kind of evened out by, Galaxy missing Chicharito and stuff, but Felipe, when needed, when called upon, he was there. He was the one made the challenge to Saldana, I think it was, who lost possession. Johnny got in, got a shot off. Keeper could have probably done better, but he pushed it into the path. It was because Johnny does what all good strikers do. He gambled, he kept going, ball comes back to him, he's able to loop it back over the keeper's head. Great goal, and at that time, desperately needed, like. Yeah, no, and Sporting's ability to score late in games has just been outstanding. And the way that they're able, they lead the league in so many of these key offensive stats that it's just, it's crazy to think that they're still able to achieve what we saw on Sunday night without Alan Polito, without Gotti Keen, that they were missing going into that game 50% of their scoring so far, you know, so far in this regular season. 50% of the players that have made up that scoring for them were not available in that game. Jalen Lindsay also included in that with his two goals. So the fact that they just don't have to rely as heavily on Alan Polito as clearly LA Galaxy have to rely on Chicharito, even though there were a ton of great opportunities, it seemed like they're just LA just couldn't find the back of the net, which really changed the game for for Sporting because they were able to come into that second half and it was a nil-nil game. Mm-hmm. For sure. And look, it it's not always going to go the way you want it. It's not where you're not always going to go out, play unbelievable football, play the other team off the park, but that's what a good team does. They find a way to grind it out when you're not playing well, still get the three points. And look, for my money, LA are one of the better teams in MLS. I think they'll, when it comes to the end of the year, when cups are being fought for and handed out, I think LA Galaxy will definitely be in the conversation. I thought they were a much better team in the first half. Uh, Even I would say even first 60, 70 minutes, they really dominated everything that was going forward. Looked on the front foot, even without Chicharito, I thought uh, Grand Seer and uh, the right back, Araujo. I mm-hmm. thought them two were both brilliant, giving Felipe, uh, or giving Martin, sorry, all sorts of trouble down that uh, left-hand side. But look, they ground out, they done well, and look, Johnny's goal, it may have been a bit fortunate, but 
There was nothing fortunate about Kyrie's goal. That was just pure, raw pace, strength, speed, out-muscling his opponent. Then he sends goalkeeper to a shop for carton of milk and then slots at home. So not exactly a vintage performance, but a lot of positives to take away from it, I think. So let's play that Kyrie Shelton goal because it was nothing short of fantastic and so well-deserved for the effort. So here's Kyrie's goal because it was just, it was beautiful. Kyrie Shelton. And off to the races he goes. Will he go for the cherry on top? It's Kyrie. Still Kyrie. And he puts it away. That's the cherry on top. 2-0 sporting. So Kyrie gets a lot of criticism for maybe in those exact moments like we just saw, not being able to put the ball away. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, when you watch that goal back, Connell, it's, first of all, it looks like he's just gliding down the field when he is just outpacing yep. the Galaxy defenders by a landslide. And then it, it it's the moment that he enters the box where he doesn't even really have to do much to fake out Bond. I mean, it, it looked, I think, at first glance like he maybe did some sort of big fake, but... To me, that was more of a goalkeeper error than anything, and mm -hmm. it was a credit to Kyrie for being able to stay so composed in that moment. Right. He sat him down, and, like, when it gets to that point, that's the hardest thing to do at the end of the day. That's why the players like Polito and stuff make so much money, because the hardest thing to do is to put the ball in the back of the net, and it's not really... Sometimes Kyrie, obviously we know that his best position isn't as a nine, but what he gives you up front is second to none. He's just... He's so strong, he's so powerful, he makes all the runs, does all the dirty work that no one else wants to do, he Does chases every lost cause, and look, it's hard, it's easy to forget, but that was the 94th minute that yeah. happened. He was still sprinting out, doing players that, I mean, they're the same age as he is, you know, he's not, it's not as if these are old guys that he's outpacing, it's, it was phenomenal to see, and it's kind of everything that he's about. Yeah, he's not a, he's not a goal scorer in that, I mean, he's not a fox in the box like a Chicharito or someone like that. But he makes up for everything else in his work rate and what he provides for his teammates around him. And then that was just a chance to show what he can do. Foot race, you would back carry against most defenders in the league. And he just, that was raw pace, power, strength, as I said. And then faked out Bond and 2-0, three points. Thank and you. the reaction, just being down on the sideline, getting, you know, to go out to the game and what a first road game. I'll just start with that because that atmosphere was fantastic. Mm -hmm. One of the older uh, soccer, first soccer-specific stadiums in the league, and man, does it hold up because it was such a great environment. But it was really weird, Connell, and we were talking about this before the show. I haven't been to a ton of MLS stadiums before. Most sporting KC games, if not all sporting KC games, except for this LA game, I've watched at Children's Mercy Park. Mm -hmm. So when sporting scores, you hear the entire stadium erupt, whereas this time around, it was the complete mm -hmm. opposite. I'm like, oh my God, like that, because it was like, Johnny's goal was just so crazy. And at first I couldn't tell from where I was standing if it went in, I was like, did that barely go wide? Did it, you know, where? Mm -hmm. And then you also can't tell because of the reaction. I'm like, right. oh, wait, was that it? And then <laughs> then you you start to start hear the boos and, and right. the, the opposing, um, fan base so it was just the atmosphere was fantastic la galaxy are have had the fourth of july game for the last like 20 plus years yeah, outside i didn't of, know that was every year they play at home yeah on the fourth i didn't know that outside so. of the covid season last year where fourth of july i believe they were all already down in uh orlando oh, at that yeah, point yeah. but yeah so that and it's really cool because right after the match they you know all the lights go out and then they get ready for fireworks that you can just see above dignity health park so mm -hmm. 
And I mean, before the 75th minute, I'm sure they thought that those there were going to be celebratory fireworks at that stage. But like, it is what it is. And the atmosphere actually looked awesome from from where I was sitting when we were watching the game because LA were playing brilliant. LA were doing well. Every, as you said, they'd done everything apart from put the ball in the net. So the fans were up for it. They were G'd up. They were ready for it. And then when that ball looped into the net off Johnny's head, the silence was deafening. Like you couldn't, you could have heard a pin drop for a second. Yeah. And then obviously you hear the boos and you hear. So fireworks on and off the park. Yeah, and, and we were happier for him at the end of it, right? Well, and just so deflating for L.A. too because, you know, you look at how that Johnny Russell goal changed everything. That then opened the door for Kyrie Shelton's goal because they've got numbers up high. They're right. trying to, to find that equalizer. Busio plays the perfect pass up through to Kyrie Shelton, who then, as we've already talked about, you know, does all the right things. Strength, speed, power, just gets himself in the right position. And then when it when he needs to just kind of calmly touch it in the back of the net, he does mm -hmm. exactly that. And, I mean, the reaction to that goal by Kyrie, I mean, Peter Vermees said it after the game. It was just a mature way to close out that game. It didn't go the way that they would have wanted in the first half. All the players have said the same thing, like, no, that was not our best game, but the way they were able to close it out, and, and Johnny, I think, said it best. It shows that not only can we win games when, when we fall behind, when we you know maintain a lead, but we can also grind out wins like this. And that, to me, is, is the making of a team that will go far in the postseason, because that's what you need. Once you get into the playoffs, if you've only got one style of winning, that's not going to be sustainable mm -hmm. because you get a little bit of everything in the playoffs like we've seen. Well, I mean, when we were sitting here, I mean, not to be Mr. Hindsight, but when we were sitting here last week, I I said that I think yeah. it's, it's a bad matchup for sporting just because what they have in the middle of the park. At that time, I thought Kleschen uh, and stuff would have played as well. Of course, he didn't. Uh, he wasn't able to play. But... They have speed on the wings, and I thought they could give us trouble, and it actually proved to be that way. They did give us trouble, and they're a good team, LA Galaxy. They have good players. They have – they can uh, – I mean, without Chicharito, they didn't really have a focal point. I didn't think Cabral or uh, Zubak, I don't think either of them did, done very well. They had a couple of chances in the first half that you have to think if Chicharito had been there, he would have taken at least one of those chances. But at the same time, you just have to give credit to Tim Melia there. That was real – a real good performance away from home. He stood tall. He, he played well, made saves when he had to. Kind of took the pressure off uh, some of the sporting back line. And we've all seen games like that before. When it seems like it's going your way and everything's going, your keeper's doing well and they're missing chances, then when you get your chance, you take it. Do you know what? We've been on the, the other end of those types of games before, so when they happen for you, take it and run, and that's kind of what we did. Yeah, I, exactly that. I mean, we saw, I, I think one game that stands out is the Austin FC home game where it was a 1-1 oh, draw, yeah, but they had, yeah. I think, what, like 32 shots and, mm -hmm. you know, a number of those on target. It's just sometimes the goals aren't going to fall, but in the games where you need to be opportunistic in the attack, right. Sporting Kansas City were just that. And that, to me, again, it just shows that they can win games in more than one way. And it also shows that they don't have to just rely on Alan Polito. Of course, they're a different team when he's available, either off the bench or in the starting 11. They don't have to rely fully on Gotti Kinda either. Yes, they're a different team when he's on the field. But the fact that, you know, when you look at the difference between these two teams, L.A. will most certainly be a team that we're talking about come playoffs. Yep. But what we learned in that game, and maybe this won't prove to be true throughout the entirety of the season, they need Chicharito to score goals. Right. And they also can't score goals from outside the box. I was talking with some of their beat writers before that game. They haven't scored a single goal this season from outside the box. Wow, so really? Chicharito, you know, is just such an assassin. I know we'll, we'll pull a word from Nate Buchady's <laughs> vocabulary <laughs> there real quick. Yeah. Um, but just such an assassin in and around the box. And, and 
when you don't have that and you don't have players who, yes, some quality chances, but can't put any of them away, to see Sporting Kansas City have two, th- two players who this season were maybe unlikely goal scorers, mm-hmm. at least up to this point. Johnny Russell, we know what he can do. Kyrie, maybe not, you know, the considered one of the best goal scorers in the league, but the fact that both of them could capitalize on those opportunities, you know, just goes to show that this sporting team can spread the scoring around and can win games in really difficult, you know, types of situations and environments as well. It was a, just as good of an environment as you saw on TV as it was in person. So, yeah, I mean, it's, well, it just shows you kind of that they can share the load. And that was something that was a bit of a problem last year. I mean, if it was, if it wasn't Polito, then it wasn't going in really at one mm-hmm. stage. I mean, Johnny was contributing stuff. But now we've got Daniel Shalloway kind of firing at all cylinders as well. Of course, he didn't score on Saturday, but he's been hands down the player of the season so far in my books. Uh, you've got Kyrie back in, in amongst the goals. And that's good for confidence too, because you're going away. You're going to be playing away in tough places. Like we've already went to a, a few tough places this year and like you know what it's like. But LA were right up for that on Saturday and or Sunday. Sunday, yeah. Sorry, yeah. And they Felt were like getting, it's my holiday days are weekend. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting mixed up. But they were right up for it, and they're going to take some. I don't think many teams are going to take three points away from the LA Galaxy, but Sporting, thankfully, were one of them. Sporting did. And <laughs> we'll talk more about that later on in the show, get into some numbers from that match, how Sporting Kansas City is looking this season, just from a, just across the opening games of the regular season. I mean, talk about some. Really shocking and, and impressive statistics. Sporting Kansas City uh, owns the record and, you know, all of those, at least to start this 2021 campaign. So we'll get into some of those numbers. But next, we'll talk with our friend Tom Bogert of MLSsoccer.com about the upcoming Gold Cup because Sporting Kansas City got a little break for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So we will be talking some Gold Cup action as players have reported and training is underway and Gianluca Busio getting closer and closer to his U.S. Men's National Team debut for the Gold Cup. We'll be back after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show. Welcome back in to the Sporting Kansas City Show presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And now joining the show is our friend Tom Bogart of MLSsoccer.com. Not enjoying a Michelob Ultra, but drinking a cup of coffee as he does during his late afternoon appearances with us. Tom, what's in the cup? It's a little coffee. I, I like it light and sweet, French vanilla. And look, I, I got I to have the caffeine. This is my PD to stay sharp when I'm, when I'm trying to keep up with you guys. <laughs> so, like, how – I don't have a visual in front of me, but, like, how dark or light is your coffee? On, on like, the spectrum of, like – it's very light. It's very light. I, I make fun of myself for it. I, I'm, like, one step above somebody joking, am I going to have any coffee with my creamer? <laughs> <laughs> so, what, like, what's your creamer preference? Like, what, what flavor do French we got now? Almost exclusively. Once in a while around the holidays, you know, I'll, I'll get something more Christmassy or more holiday season, but <laughs> almost exclusively French for now. I'm, I'm a simple man. You're a mob man. <laughs> <laughs> I've got see I'm the opposite I've gotten as my tolerance for the caffeine has shot up mm-hmm. I now increase the number of espresso shots that we're mm-hmm. putting in wow. I'm increasing um you know the the type of blend we're getting you know the darker more just intense roast that's what I've it usually al- got and me, then I'm jittery all day it's it fantastic honestly, it depends on how early I start work because if it's <laughs> early it's a kind of no milk scenario which is <laughs> straight up and at it but I'm a slave to Red Bull wow. as well so don't put that Red Bull in your coffee. That would be dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Tom, let's get into some gold cup talk because while the rest of major league soccer has some action going on in, you know, midweek and this upcoming weekend, sporting Kansas city have a little bit of a break. They got that game in against Austin and that random June 12th weekend that everyone else was off. So no match for sporting Kansas city. Plus they've got 
The Gold Cup here in Kansas City, U.S. national team reported getting training underway and all of that fun stuff. And I know sporting Kansas City fans were thrilled to see Gianluca Busio make the final roster. But maybe Tamelia snubbed a little bit, just mm. a little bit. After that performance we saw against the LA Galaxy, I don't think many people were expecting him to make the final roster. But I don't know. That performance kind of maybe made me change my mind at least. Yeah, and, and with Amelia, I mean, I know that this is the emotions and it really shouldn't, you know, mean too much and it shouldn't go into the, the uh, decision-making. But, I, I mean, nobody thinks that he's the future for, for the position uh, for the United States. But with the group stage being in Kansas City, for this guy having been overlooked for so long, been, been, it took him a while to get his first starting job at MLS. He earned it. He became one of the greatest keepers in the league, statistically pretty much the best penalty uh, shot stopper in, you know, ever. And, you know, I, I was really hoping that he was going to get that third goal uh, goalie on the roster and then play the third group stage game after the u.s already got he got through just just so he could be able for you know in his career you cannot take away i got one cap with the national team and it'd be thoroughly deserved nobody would have been handing it to him but it, it's not like he needed it necessarily and it's not like it'd be something towards the future but man the, the romance in me was really hoping that he was going to be that third goalie and, and get his you know first cap and not to mention a good veteran presence, too. I mean, you saw it, I think, in that L.A. game, and I know Vermees pointed this out after the match, like the way that he was able to go into that environment and the saves he made, the timing he did, how he managed that game just from a time, just decisions that he made throughout. I mean, he's he's such a veteran keeper at this point, and has ha he has the success, you know, to back it up. But, yeah, maybe that was just a little little too optimistic. I mean, I mean maybe, it was, maybe it kind of is a bit sentimental for us being – we're here, we watch him week in, week out. We would love to see him get that call and represent. But as Tom said, I mean, statistically, there's not too many goalkeepers better of them in the league, in my opinion, anyway. But Tom, I mean, maybe it would kind of, it kind of annoyed us a bit more in Kansas City than it did most people. But was there any notable snubs that, that you kind of picked up on and like players you would have liked to see called in as well as Tim Miller? No, not really. I mean, again, it, it, more and more on the romantic side with, with Tim and you know I, I don't I don't um, disagree with anything that you said about his qualities and anything but but look he's 35 um, you know Matt mm -hmm. Turner's 27 Zach Steffen is a couple of years younger than that he, it's not like he's gonna be the starting goalie at, at any right. point for, for the country so again it'd be more about romantics but again he, he would have been there on merit um, as for snubs I don't really see any honestly um, because Greg Burl everybody that you kind of thought of hey what about this person Greg Berhalter explained, you know, Caden uh, Clark sounded like he probably would have been on the squad if he didn't pick up an appendectomy. Um, Julian Araujo would have been on the squad if, 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 you know, not even reading between the lines, I'm pretty sure Berhalter just said it directly that he straight up said, I'm not ready to commit my international future to either the United States or Mexico. And if he plays a couple times at this tournament, he would have been capped tied forever. So Araujo was somebody we would have liked to see. Caden Clark, somebody we would have liked to see. And those were the reasons why both of those players um, didn't go. Uh, a couple guys that I guess I was surprised about would be, uh, you know, the Nations League players like Kellen Acosta, Sebastian Jack, Jackson, Newell. I didn't think that any of them were going to be on this squad just based on what Berhalter had been saying about, you know, we don't want to take players from both tournaments. But given that they're MLS players and they're already midseason, it's not like they're taking away from, you know, European players all season. So I get why they're there. But, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if, you know, they used those three roster spots on, say, players who hadn't been involved and, and you know, getting a look at three more guys. So, Tom, what about Gianluca Busio? We talked with him after the announcement was made that he was on the final roster, and he said in his conversations with head coach Greg Berhalter that they briefly talked about him 
playing at the six and also the eight, like more of an attacking midfielder role. Where do you see him fitting in? Because we've seen him almost exclusively playing at the six for Sporting Kansas City this season, mostly out of necessity with Nicholas Sissamat Marin being out with injury, Ilya slotting back yes. to that center back role. Maybe now that Issy looks to be making his return back to the field, he checked in in stoppage time against LA over the weekend, and maybe that could change how Sporting rearranges the lineup. But where do you see him fitting into this U.S. team? Is he is he more of a six, or does he got does he have a better go at maybe an eight or a ten? Yeah, I mean, the big question I go down to again in any of these tournaments, like the, the same way that you know, looking back, like Will Trapp was, was good as a six, you know, playing in the Gold Cup when we were playing kind of teams that we were going to dominate the ball. They were going to be great at that, you know. And Jackson Yule too, and he did a little bit better when the competition got better, but he was one of the big losers from Nations League. He, you know, he, he didn't cover enough ground, and when you're not you know, pinging and, and really dominating the game as like a metronome as a six, and if you, then your defensive liabilities are really getting emboldened. And that brings me to Booster. Like, he runs better than both of those players, but nobody's going to um, confuse him for Tyler Adams at the six. So my thought is, is you know, could Busio start as a number six against Mexico or, or even Canada, let's say? Um, I'm not sure at, at this stage of his career. And, and I still personally think that his upside would be best in this kind of system as one of the two players um, ahead of the six or somebody that can interchange. Like, say, if Eric Williamson plays a six, he's somebody who um, has, has shown for Portland he can do that role with Diego Chara out. But he's also somebody who's going to carry the ball forward and progress the ball forward. So that's where Busio would be super useful in where he can interchange and he can drop deep and, and kind of command possession that way. So personally, I think that, that he'd, he'd be great as an eight. I think he's, he'd be fine as a six at, at this level. But that'd be one of the things that, that I'd be worried about just after we, when we watched Will Trapp and, and Jackson Ewell and, and I'm sure there's other you know defensive mids that are coming to mind who looked really great in Gold Cup or Concrete Up games. And then they kind of you know, struggled a bit when it came to, you know, your Mexico's of the world and he had like Costa Rica and whatnot. So, you know, I, I could see him doing very well at both, but I'd like to see him, you know, keep getting a go, you know, further forward up the field. Tom, uh, with the players that have been selected, I mean, it starts, they're all, it all seems to be a players that like to play football, like ball playing players that he, that he seems to have targeted here. Is that, what way do you see them playing, like setting up? Do you think it's just going to be more of the, what we've seen against the likes of Mexico and Costa Rica, like st still keeping to the four-three-three and or maybe the three-four-three, which they used? Is do you think the players that he's picked does it suggest to you that he's going to go one way or the other, or it, 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 is it pretty? Can he mix it up? So something that I value highly, um, particularly at the highest levels of the game, is tactical flexibility. That was the biggest knock on Berhalter in his first few years. It didn't matter if we were playing Mexico or Cuba. He, he, we went with the same principles, everything. And I get mm -hmm. it, you're trying to build a culture. You're trying to get the players in. But you don't play against Cuba the same way you play against Mexico. And it seemed like we were a little naive when we played against Mexico. Um, those fears kind of got put away based on what they did in the Nations League. Um, they, they, they played a little bit more pragmatic dogmatic against uh, Mexico, which I think, again, is super important because – we're not going to get to a World Cup and, say, play Germany in the round of 16 and out-possess of 64. Mm -hmm. But we will when, when we're playing in the Gold Cup, particularly in the group stage. Pretty much everybody besides Mexico. So I think that this shows a team that, that is absolutely going to be ball-dominant and try to break down opposition with the ball because when they play these teams in the group stage, and again, all the way up to the final until they play Mexico, they're going to be playing against you know low blocks that are packed in deep. So you want to have all those ball players. But there's a number of players on the team that, again, I'd be very curious to see what Berhalter does if the U.S. gets to a final against Mexico, you know, would he change the shape or would he, you know, continue 
going with just, you know, the possession-based football, this this very kind of structured and, and principle-based 4-3-3, or if, again, as you say, maybe the, the three at the back, like they debuted at the Nations League, or, or maybe something, you know, a bit more mid-block or, or a bit more transitional based against, you know, a better opponent. So, Tom, of course, you know, this roster is not the – a team, as some will call it, mm-hmm. um, but it's a great opportunity for some of these guys to prove, you know, their worth as maybe a supplemental piece for that roster. Who do you think's got the best chance going into this this tournament, this Gold Cup, uh, these Gold Cup matches, as you know, kind of proving that hey, I, you know, maybe they're kind of on the cusp right now of like a really good performance in the Gold Cup could could kind of change how they're perceived as far as where they fit in with the national team on like the top tier basis. Yeah, there are a lot of players in the squad. I think that's what's super exciting about it. That you know, like like you said, it's not it's quite like a B team, but you know, when any team that doesn't have McKenny, uh, Pulisic, and Adams, it's going to be kind of viewed like that. But there are a lot of guys that that they're not even battling just say for the last five roster spots in the World Cup qualifying or what have you. I think that there are a lot of players who are battling for real minutes, real genuine minutes when when Berhalter is able to choose you know from a full pool like. Obviously, Reggie Tannen, somebody who's been with the national team for a while, he's somebody who's going to keep pushing to stay as a starting right back and keeping deaths on the left. Obviously, there's Daryl DK. There's so many questions about starting center forward uh, when we have a full-strength squad, and he's somebody that they they decided it made more sense to bring him to the Gold Cup where he could presumably start every single game rather than, you know, maybe get a couple minutes off the bench at Nations League. I, I think that was a smart call. You know, if Matthew Hoppy can, you know, be goal dangerous on the wing and, and, and a kind of a natural fit, into Berhalter's scheme, that gives, you know, the winger depth um, another option, which I think is important. I think Paul Ariola is going to be a, a key player with World Cup qualifying. He, he's just a gamer. He's, he's somebody who thrives in CONCACAF, and, and regardless of people, you know, he's not Gio Reyna. Sorry, he's still a very good player, and he's still a very useful player. So, you know, those are a couple that come to mind, and maybe Kellen Acosta or Eric Williamson kind of battling out for, you know, Tyler Adams' backup or, 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 you know, somebody who could even play as, as an eight next, next to Adams as a six. So, I think that there's just going to be a lot of players battling for spots and minutes. At hand. And again, not just, you know, the third goalkeeper or the eighth defender or the ninth midfielder on like a roster. So, so just, that's where I fit in. <laughs> <laughs> so just on the, just on those, uh, you were saying just about Daryl DK and stuff with, I mean, we've seen the U S playing Josh Sargent as the number nine a, a lot. And he's very different than the likes of Jassi Zardes and, and Daryl DK. Do you think they use more of like a, use DK and Zardes as kind of like a target man and try and bring the wingers in to, to help it? Because obviously Josh Sargent isn't that big physical presence that those two are. So do you think that changes how they play at all? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a good point because the way you raise it. And more so with, with Jassi in that he's just, he's a true poacher. He's, he's gotten, he's improved his build-up play, his link-up play. But he's on the field to score goals, and, and he's on the field to be, you know, the focal point um, of, of the attack, somebody who stretches the defense and, you know, occupies center backs and then comes alive in the box. Uh, Daryl DK is, you know, his hold-up play and link-up play is a little better, but like you said, he, he's he's a target man. He's somebody who, you know, that's a focal point of the attack. Like Sargent is, is uh, part of the thing that I like about him is his movement and his, you know, ability to kind of shift up the defense and, and rearrange things. Um It'd be a lot better if he, if he had a few more goals, of course, and, and then there probably wouldn't be any questions about who the starting center forward is. But, but yeah, as you say, this could signal, you know, a difference and, and you know, a different thought and, and kind of plan and emphasis when it comes to opponents and, and depending on which striker's playing. We're visiting with Tom Bogart of MLSsoccer.com. Before we move over to some MLS talk, just briefly taking a look around the league, what's your prediction for the Gold Cup? Does the U.S. come out victorious? 
I hope so. I'm, I'm always going to go into this tournament um, hopeful and, and, and believing that they genuinely have a chance, and obviously they do. Um, uh, I know I've said it a few times, and I'm hoping to just talk it into existence. You know, a U.S.-Mexico final would be a lot of fun again. Yeah, that would. I think that's what a lot of people are pulling for, myself included. Well, just briefly taking a look around Major League Soccer, just what are your reactions to the, the most recent round of games here and just where the standings kind of are at at this point so far in the season? Biggest surprises? I, that 4-1 Austin FC win was – I couldn't stay up for it because I'm 85 <laughs> years old, but I, I enjoyed what I saw. Oh, my goodness. That was such a fun game. I'm so happy for the fans in Austin that they got a couple goals finally after, you know, I think they scored one goal in seven games. Mm -hmm. They played two home games in this beautiful new stadium in front of a fact-packed crowd with no goals. And that game was so much fun. And, and, man, like, it's just so nice to have full stadiums back for the most part. It's so nice to have that atmosphere back. So that was awesome. Um, I, I was a little bit out of pocket on, on Saturday night and um, busy. I wasn't touching my phone or seeing any of the games. I went to the bathroom. And, of course, because my priorities are uh, go check MLS scores real quick. I pulled up my phone and because and I got a bunch of text and group chats, too. I was like, did you write score how many goals in the like, <laughs> right. What happened? Right. And you know, I, I went back to watch all the highlights and catch up the next day on all the games. And going into a 7-1, a game that you know is 7-1, you know that the team that gave up seven is not going to look good. And even still, I was watching the highlights, and I was like, this is bad. This is even <laughs> somehow worse than I imagined of watching, uh, of again, knowing that there's going to be seven goals conceded. Oh, my goodness, there's so many individual mistakes, so just lackluster. Uh, it's really bad. And, and you know, I, I had been of the opinion that it be probably would have been unfair to, to let Chris Armas go before at least giving him a chance to play in Toronto. Um, after that result, I definitely changed my opinion, and, and uh, it made sense that, you know, they parted ways with him. Yeah, they just didn't kind of look like they didn't really – they it was they terrible. They weren't really trying towards the end. Like, it just uh, felt bad. I mean, and look, Toronto has their own problems as well. Chris Armas walked in. He was given a bit of a poison chalice there going in, but <laughs> you can't really expect, yeah, how they played and then to come out of that with your job. But one one of the scores that interested me was the one in Colorado, Tom. Uh, mm -hmm. Seattle up and flying high. But from what I've seen uh, of the game, Colorado were probably the better team in the game, and Barrios took his goal well. W what does that mean? Does that... Should we look into that? Like, is Colorado a good team or a bad team? I can't yes. tell. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that. Yes, Colorado is a good team. And again, this is without their one VP, Eunice Nomley, who yeah. he's mm -hmm. been a good player. He hasn't lived up to the – he's the best player on the team, the same – like how they were hoping, kind of the way that Manuel Reynoso kind of lifted everybody in Minnesota when he came. Mm -hmm. But again, he's been fine. Um, and that team is just really deep and really good. It's going to be really interesting to watch them over the next month because – Jack Price missed the last game of injury. I don't know how serious it is. They're going to be without Calvin Costa, Sam Vines, and Jonathan Lewis. Those are three starters, two of which two absolutely key integral pieces to the way they play. So I'm curious to see how Sam Vines and Calvin Costa are going to be replaced. Um, you know, Cole Bissett is, is kind of one of my favorite young players in the league. He's going to, you know, hopefully get some spotlight. I know that the Rapids don't have a ton of national TV games, so that's why he's a little bit of a well-kept secret, just because he's not kind of always in the headlines and always on national TV, and, and, and their playoff runs have been short. But, you know, I think that, that'll be a guy that'll be fun to watch. Okay, before I ask you, of course, about Gianluca Busio, a quick sporting question. Can sporting sustain where they're currently at right now? They've been working their way to top of the West, working their way to top of Supporters' Shield standings. I know Seattle's uh, got a game to to get maybe before we we know if that's going to stay. But what do you make of what they've done? And and I think something that was promising in the LA game, the fact that both their goals came from first-time goal scorers this season and without Alan Polito or Gotti Keen down the pitch. Yeah, I think that last point is very important. Um, 
and again, in talking about how Colorado are going to be interesting to watch, how they adapt uh, without a couple of key players. Obviously, we know that John Luca Busio is an integral part, and he plays so many different positions. He's so important to the team. But the kind of rub on Kansas City for the last couple of years is they they are just so much better when Alan Polito's there. And, you know, that's what you get when you pay for a $9 million striker. So it's been really cool this season and really encouraging for Sporting Kansas City to see that Daniel Shallow is fully back, and he's, you know, he's even joked about it at half-series. He said, look, like, let's just stop talking about last year. Just stop asking me about it. Look, it was, it was obviously just a bad year. Let's move on. This is who I am. Um, so that's really important because when Polito isn't there, they still have different outlets for goals. Like we, we know how great Johnny Russell is, and Kyrie Shelton is a bit of an underrated player in MLS. And, and like so, without Gotti Kinda, who was giving them goals from the midfield a bit last year, that's very important to see. You know, other goal scoring outlets, particularly when Polito isn't there. Look, look obviously their ceiling is, is much lower if, if Polito something happens to him before the playoffs and he can't go, or whenever whenever he's out there, Sporting Kansas City just aren't as good as they could be. But they are good enough. They're deep enough that they can kind of survive. You know, a month and a half-ish, you know, six weeks, however long, with, without Lucio and Leo, and stick around in the Supporter Shield race. And I, I thought that they were going to be within the Supporter Shield race this year, depending on kind of how the season got started. But, you know, they are firmly there, and they're going to be there for the whole season. So how long do they have John Luca Busio then? What's, what's, the t- <laughs> what's your updated timeline, or is it same old, same old? Uh, yeah, same old, same old. Um, the, when the Gold Cup roster got pushed back a couple times, um, obviously the – anxious journalist in me got, got really scared and, and was calling everybody about, is this about Buzio? They said something, you know, this won't be resolved until the time zones, like until tomorrow. I was like, that sounds like Europe. That sounds like a transfer. Like, who didn't call me? Like, what's going on? And then everybody was like, no, nothing's happened. Um, so, look, they're they're going to try to keep them um, through the end of the season. They're going to try to get that loan deal. But, you know, based on the people I've talked to, it, it, it's not like they're going to be in a position where it's like, this is this is it. We won't do the deal without this. And again, if somebody comes in and, and let's say that there's a hypothetical figure, a total package of 10 million, and they're gonna and and they're gonna expect to be asked, oh wait, we don't get to keep get this player that we just spent 10 of possibly 10 million dollars on for you know six months. No, like, we want him right now, or we're not paying you that much. So that's what's gonna go into this. Like the math is gonna change, the negotiations are gonna go, and you know again, Sporting Kansas City would have it their way in, in, in the best possible scenario. He, they agree a deal now and he gets to stay through the winter. But again, that just might not be possible. Tom, just to clear up some things, I've seen that you were pretty active on Twitter with, uh, there was a rumor, just some figures that were mentioned. There was a rumor $6 million to Sassuolo in the uh, Serie A. I've seen that you kind of poo-pooed those rumors saying that that was, was that all completely unfounded or was that just something that was in the works and kind of came out or? Yeah, I mean, they're negotiating with Sassuolo. That, that's something that I had reported previously, um, but the talks of a deal being verbally agreed or all but done or, or however it was phrased is, is wild, was wild, wildly misleading from uh, the people I've talked to. Um, and again, according to Kansas City, they're in no rush. They, they don't want to lose them. They'll, they, 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 get, they get this. They know that this is an inevitability that he's going to leave, and it's about finding the right price, the right you know landing spot for Gianluca, and, and the right timing. And Look, that was technically before the transfer window opened in, in Italy and, and for most of Europe. Why would they accept something like that so quickly, like right out of the gate? I right. that there's a bunch of achievable add-ons. They're, they're not going to, you know, the day the, the window opens, be like, okay, we'll take this deal. Let's go. Like, you know, mm-hmm. man, I'm, I'm glad that we got that out of the way now. So, you know, they're, <laughs> they're going to hold it if they can. And, you know, when somebody hits the asking price, they, you know, I haven't been told what the numbers are, but, you know, I was told that they've conveyed to a couple of teams if, if you offer this figure and you put it in writing, we'll accept it. And nothing like that has happened yet. And why wouldn't you wait? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Why wouldn't you wait? 
why, I mean, sporting hold all the cards as as far as that's concerned. So yeah. Yeah. So well, yes, and except that 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 timer's ticking though because yeah. Lucas' contract is up after next year. So right. 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 You, you yeah. can't overplay your hand. You know, we've seen that happen with Houston. They did not sell either Albert Elise or Mauro Minotas anywhere near their mm -hmm. value because they they kept overplaying their hand. They had you know an offer that was almost ten million for Minotas, and they said no, we won't do it for less than ten. A year later, they sell them for four million. Um, they had an offer for four million for Albert Elise, and he said, I won't renew my contract. They didn't take it. They expected a bigger offer. That didn't happen. He almost ran down his contract and got sold for a million. So as long as they – I don't think that's going to happen in Kansas City, but you just got to not overplay your hand. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, and, and as Daniel Shallowy said, Sporting Kansas City will enjoy every minute that they have with John Lucabusio <laughs> because everyone knows, the players included, that it won't be very long. But, Tom, thank you so much for the time. Always great visiting with you. Great insight. As always, where can people find you on Twitter for all the Tommy scoops in MLS? Yeah, just at Tom Boger. Find me on Twitter at MLSnogger.com, all that good stuff. Thanks as always for having me, guys. Thanks, Tom. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show, presented by Michelob Ultra. Welcome back in to the Sporting Kansas City Show. Allie Trost, Connell McCourt, closing things out here. After a great hour, talked with Tom Bogert in that last segment about all things Major League Soccer, some Gold Cups, some John Luca Busio. Really interesting stuff from him, as always. He's all over this. So if you need someone to follow to stay up to date on all the latest rumors and news concerning Busio's inevitable move to Europe, he's the one that you need to follow on Twitter, just at Tom Bogert. But, Connell, before we close out the show here, Sporting Kansas City, of course, have a Decent-sized break here mm -hmm. before uh, the action returns. That will be Wednesday, July 21st at home against the San Jose Earthquakes at 7.30 p.m. And in the meantime, some exciting Gold Cup games coming to Children's Mercy Park. I know Tom mentioned the uh, hopeful U.S.-Mexico final, but what are you looking forward to? I know, of course, John Lucabusio being the number one thing for all of us, but anything else, any other players or just storylines that you're following going into this Gold Cup? I'm a big fan of DK. I, I yeah. like to see. I would like to see him get a bit of a run of games. I know he played that the Costa Rica game uh, it, just after they played Mexico there, but I would like to see him get a run of games because I think he could be. I mean, because when you think of, is there a number nine? Is there an established number nine who they would go to and like you're our guy and because they have Reina and Pulisic and I think they're probably pretty locked down. But the number nine spot I think is open. And Darrell DK just has bags and bags of ability. Very, very like Kyrie and just big, strong, powerful, can score, can, you know, quick. So I, I like to see him. I just like to watch him play. I would like to see how they line up, how they're actually going to play, because it's such a massive roster turnover from mm -hmm. what we just saw in the Nations League. So can those players play the same type of system as Beerhalter wants? And and then obviously we're just looking forward to hopefully seeing Gianluca Cabusio getting on the field and seeing what kind of what position he plays in first of all and how he adapts to playing with the best players in the world, I guess. Yeah, and, and Burhalter did say, I mean, very definitively, he will see the field. You will see Gianluca Cabusio play. So really excited to see him make that debut. And how special to the fact that he gets to do it in Kansas City, not his hometown, but his home club, you could right. say, you know, grew up through the He'll system here. Fans, and yep. Have a lot of fans there in attendance. A lot of Busio jerseys, I'm sure, mm -hmm. uh, going to be in attendance for those matches. But I want to go through a few numbers real quick. Just like I mentioned at the start of the show, Sporting Kansas City leading in some very impressive statistical categories right now just from how they've performed this season, the comeback ability that we've seen, the goal scoring chances created. They've just had so much success in the attack, and that success has been 
spread around. It hasn't just been all Alan Polito like we've seen, you know, maybe more with the Galaxy with Chicharito accounting for a bulk of their scoring and, and a bulk of their success in the attack. But Sporting Kansas City have earned 19 points from the last eight games, so they are currently flying. And until the midweek games that are coming up this week, Sporting Kansas City lead the league with eight wins so far in 2021. Um, they've hit a game-winning goal after the 80th minute in back-to-back regular season games, so that clutch end-of-game gene is mm-hmm. definitely there. Uh, they extended their MLS leading goal, sc- uh, goal tally to 24 goals on the season, a total that includes a league best of 16 goals in the second half. So, again, late-game scoring, second-half scoring, they're finding ways to, to really make these games tough on opposing teams in, in the second half and in late matches. Sunday against the Galaxy was the eighth time since the dawn of the MLS Opta era in 2010 that a goalkeeper has made seven saves in a shutout road victory against an opponent with a winning record. So Tim Melia, I mean, credit to him because all seven of the Galaxy's shots on target were stopped. I mean, Tim Melia was fantastic, managed that game brilliantly. And, you know, sometimes you just need your keeper to have one of those games and that really set set things up for sporting to be able to come out with not just a shutout, but those two late game goals to to walk away with the win there. Um, a couple more things that I just found interesting pulled from sportingkc.com. They do a great job kind of laying all this information out, but it just, I think, paints a really good picture of where this team's at this season. They're uh, Kansas City's eight regular season road wins since the start of 2020 are the most in MLS. And their plus six road goal differential during that time is also the best in the league. They've only had a lower expected goals uh, percentage average than their opponent in two of their first 13 games. So again, just speaking to that creativity and ability to create those chances in the attack. I mean, they're just, they're firing right now. Mm-hmm. And look, the most impressive statistic, well, the, the ones that matter the most, I guess, are the top of the West and the top of the supporter yeah. shield. You know what I mean? What more can you really ask? And I, like you can look at the MLS power rankings. I mean, I know people kind of make fun of those, but they're kind of good to see which teams are in form, which teams know who's playing well, and what. LA Galaxy are sitting there as well, and like Sporting, it wasn't exactly a snatch and grab, but they took three points away from LA on Saturday or Sunday. They're top of the West, they're top of the Sporter Shield, so it's something to brag about. I mean, I know we're not even halfway through the season, but it kind of shows you, as you said, where this team's at. A lot of depth. That's going to be important. Tom Bogert mentioned that in that last segment there, just how how deep Sporting Kansas City looks. They're able to have different players come into the mix when when called upon and when needed to to make impacts on games. Felipe Hernandez, I think, has been a a big positive for this mm-hmm. team in, in recent weeks since he broke into the starting lineup and not just in creating chances, but you know, scoring and assisting and, and just doing a lot to really make this team better when he's on the field. I love the fight that he brings. He's just such a, a gritty kind of player and and plays really well, I think, complimentary soccer alongside Roger Espinoza there in the midfield. So some really positive stuff, a good break now for Sporting Kansas City to get a little healthier maybe and, you know, just get recovered after a a tough last month and now get ready for an exciting game against San Jose and then Seattle at the end of the month. So that's going to be uh, a big matchup as the Sounders and Sporting Kansas City are just kind of going back and forth now at the top of the standings and the top of the Supporter Shield standings as well. Yeah, it'll that'll be the game that we're all kind of looking forward to. As I mean, look, San Jose won't be any walkover. Of course, we know they give a hundred percent in every game, and it's it's hard to beat San Jose just because of the way they play, go man for man and stuff. But Seattle's definitely the glamour tie. That's the one it looks like it's probably going to be between Sporting Seattle or LA. I would say that claims the West this year. So any punch you can take off them in the meantime would be a massive plus.
And just for those, you know, wanting to kind of keep track of where the Sounders are at, some of the Western Conference matchups, Seattle takes on the Houston Dynamo tomorrow at 8 p.m. So will Seattle finally drop a game? They've been undefeated, <laughs> undefeated this season, yeah. and, and this will be, uh, you know, a, that can't last forever. I mean, right. it can, but not very <laughs> likely. So we'll, we'll be having, you know, we'll have our eyes on that match and many more around the league as Sporting Kansas City take a break. Other teams still in action, and we'll see how all of that impacts where Sporting Kansas City currently stands. First place in the West, first place in the Supporter Shield race. And first place match. in our hearts, of And course. first place, <laughs> yes, Connell McCourt, in our hearts as well. Um, and, you know, John Lucabusio, too. Get to watch him. So while Sporting Kansas City's not playing, you at least get to see a Sporting Kansas City player play for the national team. Exciting stuff there as the U.S. national team is underway with training getting ready for the Gold Cup here in Kansas City. If you haven't gotten your tickets to that yet, head over to SportingKC.com. All the info that you could possibly need is up there as well. So you can get all of that, get your tickets, get your family out there. I know I'll be out there. It's going to be a ton of fun. So soccer in Kansas City, it's, uh, it's thriving right now. Mm -hmm. We're having a good time. All right, well, that has been Sporting Kansas City's show. Thank you so much for listening. For Connell McCourt, uh, well, let's wish Nate Bukati a happy, well-deserved little vacation mm -hmm. here. Yeah. So no Nate this week, but we'll see him back here next week where you can find us every Tuesday night. Sporting Kansas City show presented by our friends at Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Have a great rest of your night, everybody. We'll see you next week.